You're listening to ViewSource, a conversation around tech, web development, and WordPress with hosts Ruba Ahmed, that's me, and Brian Kortz. All right, my opening question for you today. I got a really good one. Mm-hmm. I got a really, yeah. really hard one. You ready? Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> what is the most off-the-rails project you've ever worked on? Project that just went totally off the rails be as vague as possible oh my god just like give us a crazy this, story so this project i is it what does it say that i knew exactly which one to talk about anyway this project started out as like a tiny little um you know membership site but for students um, and then it spiraled into a big platform that had a social media like component to it and live streaming and everything. Oh, but it had an event driven timeline and had to be launched in under four months. And that included the design and all of these like permission issues that it had like Gutenberg in the front end without like the back end. And it was like, we started with 10 feature, 10 items that it had to be, and it came out to like 60 but without having to extend the timeline. And I just like pretty much went crazy. It was a very, very bad time. <laughs> did, did that like shut you down after? Like, were you were you off the map I was, after that? Oh, for like two months straight. Like I took my first two month vacation after that and I didn't look at a computer. I refused to even go onto my computer to read an article. I was like, I never want to see my machine, this computer for like two months. No, Uh I just, I couldn't handle Uh it because I had been sitting there sleep deprived for like three months straight running on like three hours a day of sleep at most. Oh my God. It was bad. I was scarred. (laughs) What about you? Well, you know, I was thinking more of when I, like the first ones that came to my mind were the ones where you realize quickly, like that you're building something that you just ethically like feel gross about (laughs) like those Mm -hmm. like if you read those like ones where (laughs) you're starting to make something and you're like oh wait i i now see your business model and like i had one guy like do you you know there's like the website i I mean i don't know if they have it in canada it's like the bbb it's like the better business bureau and it's basically like a list of all the companies and you can like complain about them and stuff like that it's like yelp for businesses (laughs) yeah and it's like the kind of old school like rating and he yeah. wanted me to make him one, but it was the reverse where you would, people would complain about a company. <laughs> Sounds so dumb when I say it out loud. People would complain about a company and then that company would have to pay him to take it down. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so you could post anything terrible about a company that you oh didn't like, that you didn't, and he, you, would pay, you would pay him <laughs> to take it off if you owned that company, That's... which is, I think, just blackmail. And then yeah. it all came out that it was all because of one company that he was super mad about. So he was trying to make this whole thing so he a could vendetta. be the first customer and put whatever person he was mad about and then come to them and be like, you have to pay this. You know, it was like a whole, it was a whole Oh thing my God. That, wow. Wow. That, wow. That, that was one where I was like, I, I think, I think I'm doing a bad thing, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, what an unethical website. That's like yeah, straight up extortion right there. Yeah. That's good. I'm glad. <laughs> but, you know, I had a couple, oh. but that one, that one came to mind. Uh, 
but you I don't know. think I've ever worked on anything like that. I, I'm pretty picky about the projects that I pick on, work on. You know, even this off the rails one that I talked about. The only reason I still did it is because it was like really cool people with a really good cause, and so mm-hmm. that made it manageable in my head. You know, <laughs> working with them. Yeah, my early freelance days were a lot of projects where I felt like towards the end you'd be like oh, this person's not going to make their money. Like, the, you know, like, like yeah. that guy's never going to make back what he did with his extortion scheme. I don't know that he ever even yeah. found someone to finish it and launch it. But like a lot of those projects where nowadays you'd be like, I'm not going to even take this project because this person's clearly does not have a business plan and that's yeah. a red flag. Yeah, I definitely took on some projects like that too. When I was just like, you know, you're spending all this money and I'm totally okay taking this because it's a great idea, but I actually don't think you're going to make any money on this. Yeah. So that was a dilemma. But yeah, after that early time, I stopped taking those on too because it's just not worth the stress. You know, the client gets yeah. stressed and then that stress like spills over on you and it's not yeah, cool. Like, <laughs> clearly they're a person who has like bad judgment, you know? So <laughs> like there's, there's, it's not like that's going to be the only problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this, that's my segue opening question for the topic today, which is starting a new project, just like big picture, new project, it's about to start. Um, I think you're like the organization master. And uh, um, so it's really just in a chance better. for me. <laughs> we'll see. I'm going to, I'm going to pick your brain apart on this one and think about you know, even that one that your example of like a project off the rails, like that probably falls under the like scope creep kind of uh, yeah. umbrella. When yeah. you started that project, did you have safeguards in place like for scope creep? Were you? Yeah, we did. But they were not enough for this particular project because that that, that project taught me a lot about how you to have, you should frame a project that is an MVP, like a, like something that they've never done before. And it's like a new idea. How do you mm-hmm. like scope that? Before that, I had never done an MVP. So I didn't really know how to manage scope creep in a situation where you don't have all the variables figured out and just won't when you first start the project. Um, so that was a, it was a deep, very intense, difficult panic attack inducing learning lesson. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I... I think everybody learns about scope creep and contracts and timelines and what an MVP is, you know, the hard mm-hmm. way. I think we all, every developer yeah. I think, learns that the hard way with one bad client. The thing is they weren't a bad client. It was just that they were so invested and then we were so invested in trying to give them the thing that they wanted that the only way to do it was for me to not sleep. And so mm-hmm. then I didn't sleep for a little while, which was not great. But I have to say that what came out in the end was amazing. Like, okay. amazing. Yeah, it was like, wow, I am so proud of this. But I'm, wow, so not proud of how I had to do it. <laughs> yeah. So my yeah. first question of like starting a new project in my mind is, is this right for WordPress? Or yes. is it not a WordPress? Like that, what you described, almost sounds like not a, like, not a WordPress. I mean, some, you know, WordPress is good at those sorts of things, but sometimes when you're trying to do too many things. So mm-hmm. how did you decide WordPress versus non-WordPress? And when you went WordPress, how did you decide like plugins versus like custom features like right. for all of that? 
So I think for me, I one in terms of deciding whether it's WordPress or not WordPress, it depends for me a lot about like how much control the client needs in terms of like constant change and editing, because if they need a lot of like content editing control and management of that kind, it just makes sense to use WordPress usually, right? Because it does get great content editing, especially with the block editor. If you're using that, it has like good, like page control, user control, um, for the average project, the user permission role, the role types that WordPress has makes a lot of sense. L large ecosystem can do translation. It can be really great. If a project has a lot of like API integrations or has like a lot of stuff that is dynamic on the front end where there's a lot of like front end interaction. Mm -hmm. then I might be like, okay, maybe this is a project that needs to be WordPress and something else, or just not WordPress at all. Because sometimes it makes sense to split a project into like partially managed by WordPress and partially like a Laravel app or something else. Yeah. Right. Um, or even headless. But I mean, my, my faith in headless is not fully there. So that's yeah. like a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that that's like my major biggest like consideration, like how much control the client needs and what kind of interaction is happening on the front end. Those are the deciding mm -hmm. factors of whether something's WordPress or not. Anything else? Now, yeah. Now, like you are sitting on that project, you're thinking, you know, just vaguely, you're talking about like a social sort of environment yeah. on it. And part of you could think, all right, I need front end login forms and user management. And I need, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some front end like content editing for users. Cause I'm guessing there's yeah. a lot of users that aren't going to be like seeing WordPress. So right. then how do you decide, all right, I'm going to use, I'm going to try to like hobble together, like, I don't know, buddy press and like restrict yeah. content pro and like all these, you know, plugins and like try to get them all to work together. Or do you just sit down and go like, I should just do this myself. You know, how do right. you make that decision? I think time and budget are two like f initial factors, right? Um, and also complexity, like, okay, with this particular project in, in the beginning, it didn't actually seem that complex. So it made sense to not only go with WordPress, but also in this case, like, yes, we actually did use BuddyPress on it. Or no, we use BB Press, not BuddyPress. Um, yeah. BuddyPress is like social media stuff, but BB Press is just the forums. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, we, we use BB press on this project, um, because they needed that kind of interaction, but it didn't seem complex at the time. And that aspect really wasn't. So BB press was a great fit. Um, but if you need, like, I think that if a website needs more than like, I don't know, what's a, what's a 10 plugins, but not 10 plugins, but 10 types of plugins. For example, Gravity mm -hmm. Forms has a lot of add-on plugins, but I wouldn't count them as separate plugins. I consider that all Gravity Forms. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't, so, but yeah, if you need 10 like unique plugins or more, this is like, a serious issue. You've got WooCommerce and you have a Restrict Content Pro and you have a Buddy Boss, whatever. And yeah. yeah. Like the big, plug, exactly. like the big ecosystem plugins that like, exactly. Yeah. They work together, but like, it's never fun to like, no, it's have not. them all happening. Yeah. It, yeah. And it can cause so many like unintended consequences or issues that you, some honestly on that project, like I came up with so many issues that 
nobody i could not doc find any documentation of anyone else coming across those because of the way that we had to deal with it was so like wildly different from how other people were using those plugins together so yeah that can happen a lot so i would say like 10 i would feel nervous even with 10 like i feel like if you have more than like six independent like major plugins that are providing major functionality you need to probably seriously consider either custom coding it or not using wordpress yeah right yeah yeah what about yeah. like project management side of it? Did you, with a project like that, I mean, you must've had to launch that project with like a ton of scaffolding, like, you know, a place where they could track all of the progress, a place where they could give feedback, a place, you know, recurring meetings, yeah. all of that stuff. What? Well, I'm not a big the, believer like, in meetings, so there weren't a okay. lot of recurring meetings. <laughs> no recurring meetings. No quick hops on Zoom, no... Uh... We did have some quick hops on Zoom, but they were not often. And okay. we did definitely didn't have recurring meetings. We only scheduled a meeting if we found that we could not resolve it async. <laughs> oh. um, yeah, I think that project management and the choosing the right tool can be very powerful in mitigating the need for a lot of recurring meetings. But... It does require buy-in from everyone involved. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, could every client get it? I mean, some people, some clients, they just want a phone call and an email every other day. Like, did you feel, do you, do you think like how much of that was the client and how much of that were you able to like, how do you, you know, how could you like make that happen? Um, you come in with the expectation and tell them that this is how it's going to be. And if they try to not do it, you find ways to make it. You know, like for example, for the, for like the person you're saying who wants a phone call all the time, you teach them how to use Loom and then they can Loom you stuff. And then you that, can... Have you taught a client to Loom? Yes, I have taught a client to Loom. <laughs> it's a verb now. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> it's a very weird verb, but anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. I have taught a client to Loom and then they, I had one client who sent me like 10 Looms in 10 hours, probably. Uh -huh. And then I would just sit down the next day and watch them all as one thing. And then I responded with one uh, Notion comment because with this client, I was using Notion at the time and it was all fine. I mean, I think that if you are not willing to sacrifice your boundaries, the clients learn or you fire them. <laughs> I mean, I do love the idea of a client sending a loom. I mean, when they're in a good mood, <laughs> I think we, we've yes. recently seen what happens when a client's not in a good mood and they send you a loop. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think what you're saying is like you, you do give your clients a little more like faith, like you put a little more faith in them that they can like join a modern workflow that, you know, some people are like, some clients live in, you know. Microsoft Office and they want to send you yeah. a Word document or a PowerPoint with like their notes, you know, that you totally. need to scroll through and all that stuff. And and then you take that PowerPoint and you put it in your system and you make them a video on how you did that and how they could do it the next time. Right. Whenever mm -hmm. I onboard a client, they actually get a whole video from me on how to use the project management tool they're going to be using with me. It's not a call. It's not a written thing. It's a recorded video made specially for them that they get. And I'm not going to lie, it's actually pre-recorded. And I just do the first like two minutes of me saying hello with their name. Um, mm -hmm. And they get that and it works. 
Generally. Do you track if they watch it? Do you put like uh, anything no. on there to like see if they make it all the way through? Like I know Loom kind of tracks a little bit. It's on Vimeo, so I see that they if they have if it has a view or not. So Vimeo yeah. does have analytics, so yeah. I do, I can see if they watch it or not. But the real test is basically when I do it, I also set up like test tasks, things I need them to do in there to mm-hmm. like illustrate their acknowledgement and understanding of how things are going to be. Um, and I also provide alternatives. Like for example, um, one of the designers I worked with really liked ClickUp. And so when we were on a project that they used, um, you know, ClickUp has the ability to work with email as well. So people could email and it will show up as a comment on a task and you can have the ClickUp email the task and its information to the client. So there are ways to deal with that. And if you have a project management tool that can, and you should, um, then you are able to work in the way you know best and you can, for the most part, allow your client to either get acclimated to your system or find a compromise that will work for them too. You let your, now that you've set everything up, do you let them see, I don't know, do you have a separate place for internal conversation? Do you have like, like if you, you have another developer on the project and you're setting it up. You know, there's sometimes it's like, you know, you want to be transparent with a client, but there's just conversations that sound scary to a client yeah. because they're not developers yeah. and they don't really need to be a part of that conversation. So yeah. don't, don't you feel like you get lost in the like, oh man, I got to like check my this and log into that and they messaged mm-hmm. here, but I need to triage it to over here, but then they want to message back <laughs> like this and then I'll record a loom. And I, when I started with loom, I would give like names to all my videos and put them in folders, but now I don't do that at all. Now my loom is just like a giant trash can full of videos that just <laughs> are named, you know, screenshot or something. It's like, Am I describing a real thing or is it just my own anxiety? Yeah, you totally are. But I mean, okay. The original question you were ta- talking about how much how much access you give your client, right? In terms yeah. of like conversations that are not directly client facing. So I learned this from a designer actually um, when I first came onto the project and this is like a few years ago. But the way they set up their space is they had a client space. And then they had what they called a production space. The client space is where all the client interaction is happening. The production space is where the developer and designers are all talking to each other. But that space is actually accessible to the client as well. But they're not notified about any activity in that space. But they can Mm. always go and they can look. And that's where most of the high-level conversations happen. But then there was a secret sort of an, an internal section to it too, where you could have conversations that you know you definitely never want the client to see because it doesn't make sense for them to see it. Right. So most of the work was happening. Texting. No, it wasn't. It was actually inside, inside the actual thing, but sometimes Slack too. Right. I mean, Slack serves that role in internal teams too, but, um, but yeah, so like there, there was a certain level of transparency. So I wouldn't say it was a hundred percent transparency, but it was like 80% transparency, but in a manner that didn't bug the client and didn't like incentivize them to go look at it but it's totally there if they want to go look at it which i think is like the perfect way to deal with that in general like i think and i adopted that almost immediately after because i love that the clients have as much access as they choose to have but you still have a space that is slightly private as well if you need um yeah yeah i just thought felt like it was a good balance some clients want to snoop on everything and see exactly. every little thing. And then exactly. most clients, I would bet, or at least the majority, 
okay. will just respond when something gets sent to them two or three times. You know, the third time exactly. you say the same thing, they respond to it. There was um, exactly we've used like Basecamp in the past. I don't know if you ever used Basecamp, but it had a really good sense of um, on the top of any t- thing, there'd be like a blue bar or, or a different color for like the client can see this or this is mm. internal and everything was That's one cool. of two. And you could always know like, so you could use any tool, you could make a to-do list, but you could have two different to-do lists. One would very clearly say client and the other one would very right. say like internal. And so every tool you could mm. just kind of like, you could have a chat that's with the client, a chat client. without. You could have uh, post a status update that's internal or a status update right. that's, you know. So um, they, awesome. I think they really handled that super well. How do yeah. you set the expectations of communication? Like if you're not doing a weekly stand-up with a client, say it's a big project, they're not doing a weekly stand-up and you're sending them updates, do you still have some sort of a schedule like, you know, every Friday by noon, that's when, yeah. you know, expect it. Even if it's even if it's async, like there's mm-hmm. a rhythm to it. There's an expectation that you wouldn't go a certain amount of time, or that every certain Friday or whatever yeah. the day is, you send them some update. Yeah. So usually there is a weekly update. It's either on a Friday or a Monday, depending on what's been agreed upon with the client and their own preference. Usually, um, so it did differ by like project, but yeah. And I pretty much have a template, and it's like basically the Scrum template, you know. Um, which is what am I working? What did I work on? So what did I work on in this past week? What is what I'm going to be working on this week? And here are the issues or blockers that I had. Super standard gets some, gets them all the information they need. It has like super helpful links to it, like, you know, related tasks that they can look mm-hmm. at or whatever. And, and I also have like a, Hey, respond, please let me know in a comment that you read this, like, you know, they are required to provide their acknowledgement. Um, and clients really like it. They like feeling part of the loop on a schedule they can trust. And even when that's async, it works. It works really well. I mean, I found that even clients who were like super like into meetings and everything, they adjust very quickly to it and find that they actually really prefer it. And yeah, (laughs) I'm thinking we got tech, WordPress, picking all of that sort of stuff. We talked a little about like project management, setting up that Mm -hmm. like piece of it. Yeah. Communication, client expectations. Is there anything else that's like when you're starting a new project, one other area where you're like, oh, I do a little bit of prep and time. You know, what else am I? Documentation. Training and documentation, right? Like that's such a cool part. For like after the projects. Yes. Okay. So I think that. Even though it is delivered after the project, it's something that you kind of have to do while you're doing the project, right? Yeah. Um, for me, like it, like let's say you have a project and it has a design component and a development component. It literally starts with the design, right? Like in the design, we've decided that these are the kind of functionality and features we're going to have. Okay, cool. Let's get that into a document. Awesome. Now the developers created the stuff in the development stage. Okay, cool. How do you actually interact with that as a client to actually create that functionality, like, you know, use that functionality. And then usually you need to like refine that and make that super easily accessible to the client. It not only serves as a great template for you when you're training the client, um, on video, but it's a great referral, like a great reference for them after the fact, because who wants to constantly go through a recorded video just to find that one tiny thing when you could go control F or command F in a written document and find that quick thing and be done. Right. So. To me, that's like a important piece. Um, and I've gone like 
back and forth on how I provide that to the clients. I've done mm. the Google Doc thing, doesn't work well. I've done the PDF thing, works even worse. I've done the, there's like a WordPress help plugin, WP yeah, help yeah, yeah. It used to be, yeah. Uh -huh. But one, it wasn't, it wasn't updated for a long time. And two, I found the whole experience to be kind of awkward. So now I've landed on, Right now, currently, my practice is to create a set of private pages on their website, which has all of this information. So it all even has like interactive, like here is what a, this block would look like once you mm -hmm. use it right there. And I also make a PDF of those pages just in case, just in case they lose access to their site. Um, but otherwise, they're in their site. They can open up these private pages, see what the information is, see how I actually built a particular thing because they can go and look at the actual editor for it. And it's really nice. So I've noticed that recently on, especially developers working on like block editor sites where that's sort of like, here's the documentation. It's just a private, you know, page on the site or a draft or something like that. And yeah. as you're building out block custom blocks or short codes or whatever, you're just like slowly documenting them into like one document. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, you can like, you can literally just click yeah. edit and see exactly what it looks like on the back end. You can go back and forth between the two. I think that might end up being the best way to do a thing like that might be. And then especially like as WordPress, you know, say you're building like block patterns for a client exactly. and you have, you know, you're starting to build out that yeah. library of block patterns. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I remember, what's the plugin? You know, the little like help tab at the top of WordPress and you click and it like slides down and it, there is mm -hmm. like in the back end of WordPress, you can click help and it like comes You can down do that. And has, yeah. yeah. And you can like, there's like yeah. plugins that hook into it that like, yeah. you can add videos can add and all that stuff. Yeah. And like, mm -hmm. of course, all the videos are like recorded from like WordPress 3.0 and like, you know, it's like, and you yeah. can add your own, but like, you're not going to do that for every client. So I, I do think I kind of like the, uh the page do you link to it do you put like a link somewhere like yeah so i have a support i create a support meta box on the dashboard and it's mm -hmm. linked straight there plus like a button to email me if you need or whatever yeah, like yeah. in some cases it's not an email but a support ticket system etc so it's like it's there for them um yeah and no like top i level actually have that menu thing a little like on the no. like under wp no. engine it's like you could do that that's a good idea but i found that it just like Okay. Yeah. That's like another gripe with dashboard. Sometimes people use too many top level menu items. This, we could have like a whole conversation about yeah. like CMS dashboard, like design and setup, but I don't like to add it unless it's super, super necessary. And I find that actually just keeping it on the dashboard is more than accessible for most people. Yeah. And there's like plugins where you're kind of like, you know, rearrange the know. sidebar and like, I, that always scares me. I don't like messing with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you can hook into it and, and change things and stuff. I don't know. I, I've been, this is a side tangent, but I've been messing around with full site editing and I've been using what, as of time of, that we're recording right now, it's not released, but it's in the plugin, which is like the browse mode where it basically yeah. looks like Squarespace and it's like your website takes up like two thirds of the screen. And then there's just like a very clean black, like sidebar and yeah. there's no, there's none, you know, there's no WordPress, like. OG Chrome. It's all gone. Yeah. You're only in the site editor. And <clears throat> it's just like the, the fact that it's like, we're erasing everything, no tools, no settings. Like you can get to it. It's, it's pretty mm -hmm. easy to get back to it, but you're just not seeing any of it. Like I could imagine that 
version of WordPress existing for editor and below users. Like, 100%. like old WordPress only shows up for the administrator. Everybody else gets new WordPress. Um, yeah. I mean, it has a long way to go and it's only for the site editor type stuff, but like just modifying your content and like, you know, they don't need to see settings. They don't even need to see users, like just hide a lot of that stuff. Like I could see that being the case and then have your one little like help guy in the corner. That's like your own custom, like screen that you yeah. render, you know, Maybe. that's a little bit like what wordpress.com does, right? Like in wordpress.com, yeah. when you have a site, you can be inside their like custom, they have a name for it, which I don't remember anymore, but like their react yeah. like interface. Right. But you can also say, you know, I want to go and see the actual WordPress dashboard and then you're presented with like everything. Otherwise it's like this really clean interface with just the stuff you need in order to publish really well. And a simple settings area, which is just has like the basic stuff that you might reach for more often. And like, I remember helping a client who was on WordPress.com and honestly, like for the most part, I found that to be like a really nice separation for a, a content creator, right? Someone who just like the editor and below, like you said, like the people who just need to deal with that content creation aspect of yeah. the CMS and not everything else. So I, I agree. I could totally see that being a thing. I mean, I will check back in like seven, eight years and we'll see if they've made that progress. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm hopeful, but I'm also like, you know, it's literally just two things and, and it's still pretty rough. Like it's just templates and template parts and it's still pretty yeah. rough. And like, it doesn't even yeah. have like a lot of the other stuff. I mean, it's a beta, it's like beta. It's not, it's not released or anything. It's just it's super beta. Yeah. It, yeah. And, but the more I've been using it, um, once you get into that workflow of like templates, template parts and stuff, mm -hmm. um, the, the actual animation from clicking a template part, going to edit it, and then like getting into the Goonberg editor is like instant. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's slick. It's like, oh, wow. Like I'm, I am in an app now. Like I'm in an app now. And it's, it, yeah. it is, you're like, okay, I kind of see why they did it this way. I mean, should they have used you like feel a better. focused, right? You feel like it's like a no distraction mode in order to do this stuff, which is like and... a really nice vibe. Which is weird because I hate the full screen mode in the normal block editor. I hate it. I need my sidebar, but like, I love when I'm in. Do you? Yes, I never have the sidebar in the block editor. I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> are you? Are you like? Oh my god! Why am I friends with this person? <laughs> my internet connection. It's not working. <laughs> um, I don't know. Well, it depends on the mode, though. Like. When you're in like yeah. building a website for somebody mode and you're like going to the settings, checking a plugin, checking to this, doing to that. It's like, I need it all. I need, I need to go to the front end, to the back end, all, all, all. But like when you're just in like site editor mode and you're messing with full site editing that, and yeah. it was kind of nice at like, getting there. Now, of yeah. course, nothing still, the, the, the design parity from front end to the back end is still so, so bad where I'm like, oh, this padding between these two elements is so big. And then I go to the front end and they're right next to each other. Like there's still a lot of that, but yeah, I, I, I get, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I, I, did we get everything? How to set up a project, so? project management, um, scope, did. scope creep, all the good stuff. Yeah. We creeped right into the Gutenberg thing. <laughs> scope creep right in this episode. <laughs> That's uh every WordPress podcast goes like, has to have like yeah. two minutes on how they Gutenberg. feel about Gutenberg. Uh, <laughs> so let's cut it off there.
<laughs> yeah, let's let's do that. All right. See you next time. See you next time. <laughs> Visit viewsource.fm for the latest updates and links to the show notes. Review and subscribe to ViewSource in iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.